0: the world, just just give me Jesus. Man, it's great to be back here with all of you this morning. Good morning to all of you who are joining us online. We love the fact that you're engaging us that way. Um, if you're new with us, welcome, welcome to Vertical. We love the fact that you are here. We love the fact that you got up and to come and hang with us today. We want you to feel welcome and wanted, that you'd be willing to come back and hang with us again another Sunday as we chase this life of uh, living and living for Jesus alone and what that looks like in this world. Okay, before we jump into this morning's series, we're actually gonna take a TV timeout and we're gonna do a survey together. Yay! Yeah, it sounds like fun, right? We're going to take a survey together. Uh, when you walked in, you were given one of these surveys, a 2021 survey. If you do not have one, uh, please raise your hand. We want to get one in your hands. They are for everyone from uh, 12 years of age and older. Everyone from 12 years of age or older. So if you do not have one and you're in those and you're in that age, 12 or above, please raise your hand. and We will get one in your hands. This is for everyone. Let me say it again, 12 years age or older. Everyone, not just one for the family, every single individual in the room that's 12 years age or older. Who's this for? a few of you got it okay there you go the rest of it i lost you all right so fill that out listen and those of you who are joining us online this is a great time to take that bathroom break that you wanted to do or go get that cup of coffee and come back and join us um but this survey is going to help us get some information about our church who we are what we're doing and so i'd ask you to start now pull them out and start filling them out if you haven't done so already cue the music if you would just we do that You should be filling out the surveys if you haven't already. You've got a few people that are done because they're overachievers. Love that, love that. Some of you are rebellious to so say, I'm not going to fill it out. Okay. So this is this is anonymous. Do not put your name on it. not put your name on it. So you have to, I want you to tell the truth. We're in church. No lying. Some of you are very tempted when you look at that first question that says, what is your age group? You're going to be tempted to put in the one a little bit less than you are, all right? don't do it be for reals so i'm in the age group of 17 to uh, 12 right that's where i'm at Uh, mentally sometimes i feel like i play that word all right okay they're not difficult questions um what is your relationship status are you married or single okay i think we can handle that one we got that figured out are you currently attending a small group are you so a little, little little guilt there, a little push. Go ahead and fill it out. Twelve years of age or older, every single one of you. Alright. Those of you who are joining us online, how you doing? You don't get to fill one of these out, I'm sorry. Show up next week. You still won't be able to do it, but just show up. Alright. How are we doing? People are looking a little confused. So everybody doing well almost done all right what i want you to do is you want you to hand them towards the center hand them towards the center of the church the ushers and the elders are going to come by and pick them up when you're done hand them all hand them all over we're friendly like that hand them all in no rushing the person next to you this is a serious business <clears throat> all right we're doing good how's everybody doing feeling good all right, hand them over to the center. This is the center. just want to point this out. Hand them this way. I know sometimes I'm confusing. All right. Thank you guys for picking them all up. I appreciate it. Now, was that so hard? No? Was that tough? Come on. So thank you for taking the time and doing that because I've always said good information helps us make good decisions and we have some goals and some things we're trying to reach as a church, where we want to go, what we're called to do and so this helps us figure those things out. So thank you for taking the time to fill that out this morning. Um, it just, it's very, very helpful for us. Um, so, all right, so gang, let's jump into this new series. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter one. We'll be starting in verse nineteen here in a few minutes. Second Peter chapter one, verse nineteen. Um, and we're gonna step into a series called the Good Book, which I'm absolutely stoked for us to walk through as a church. See, over the years, the Bible was affectionately known as the Good Book, and it started centuries ago as a way to point people to Scripture. When people would come against a situation or walk into a situation, someone would always say, well, the good book says, or according to the good book, and then they did that as a way to point people to God's truth and bring God's truth into that situation. They said, don't take your own wisdom, don't take the world's wisdom, but we're in a situation, I wanna bring God's wisdom into this conversation. And the reason why they called it the good book is because people used to believe that the Bible was the word of God. It was God's word and it was good for life. And it was good for us to live by. Why? Simply because God is good and what he wants for us is the best for his creation. But that's not necessarily true anymore. Things are going against this. Uh, studies show that each year, fewer and fewer people believe the book to be God's word. Fewer and fewer people believe that the Bible is God's word. And because of that, fewer and fewer people are actually reading it. And even beyond that, fewer and fewer people believe it has any relevancy for life. There's a growing doubt that the good book is not God's book. Now... Because what we walked through because of COVID and our nation being rocked a little bit for the last couple of years, there has been a little bit of uptick and some positive trends with this situation. But unfortunately, it took a global pandemic and a world shutdown to make it happen. And by the way, those little positive trends are not huge, but they're a step forward. Because this is what I'm finding when I did all these studies and did this research. 47% of Americans believe our country would remain the same or get better if the Bible was non-existent. What? 47% of Americans, that's half our country just about, believe the country would just stay the same or get better if we would stop using the Bible or if the Bible would just not be existent around anymore. That is crazy. Because our country was founded on and built on the biblical principles in this book. And this country is fading away into the point where it no longer Believes, And across the nation for the past decades there's been this idea of deauthorizing scripture that it wasn't God who wrote the Bible. A, little stu- a study a little bit older shares that 26% of Americans believe the Bible is a bunch of fables, legends, stories, or a book of moral precepts to follow. Come on, that's crazy. How did we get here? I mean, how did this happen And what scares me the most is what's happening to the next generation. The same study shows in the next generation in the church are becoming greater skeptics of the truth. So as my generation fades believing and holding it to be the word of God and it's the truth of God, the next generation, it's being magnified in them. (sighs) Come on. And that's why I'm so thankful for Chris and Lori Watts. I don't know if you know who they are, but Chris and Lori Watts, they lead our youth. They start with our little kids and go up to our student ministry. And they talk to them about God's love for them, repeatedly talking about His love for them through Jesus Christ. And you know what? They use Scripture as their foundation. So I'm so thankful for that to do that and thankful for them for how they serve. Because they use scripture on a constant basis, I have conversations with them about the authority of scripture and what they believe in scripture. They're literally punching the statistic in the face. Bringing the word of truth before the next generation, the now generation, if you want to say it that way. But the more I read and understand what's happening in this nation, I think it's about time as a church and all those you bring in who are skeptics to ask an honest question. And seek for an honest answer. Is the good book God's book? And does it relate to me? So this morning we're gonna walk through some step in this series by stepping into a passage of scripture written by one of Jesus' closest followers, a guy named Peter. Peter, one of Jesus' first followers, called to the scene, who ministered to Jesus side by side with him for three years. Now, Peter, if you know the scriptures, he did a ton of boneheaded things. There's many times he put his foot in his mouth, but there's one thing that he believed the true, and he wasn't shy about sharing it, is who Jesus is. That he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed, he is the chosen one. He is our savior of the world. And he's writing, Peter's writing to a group of believers, followers of Jesus, people who have come to the idea, the understanding that they're a sinner in need of a savior. And they get to the point, they stop and pray and surrender their life to Jesus Christ, making him the Lord over their lives. And he's writing to them with good reason. He's reminding them of their responsibility as followers of Jesus to grow in their faith and if they're not growing in their faith the result of that is nearsightedness and blindness and because they end up forgetting who they are in Jesus Christ and they've been cleansed from their past and they start fading back to where they were because you need to be growing I mean that could easily be a message of itself right if we're not continually growing in a relationship with Jesus we're most likely fading in a relationship with Jesus we're fading back to who we once were we're fading back to one of the things that Jesus tried to carve out of our lives. We need to continue to focus growing with him. Too many of God's people fail to see their need to grow and they have so many more struggles in life because of it. They go back to where they were. And that's why I love where Peter writes in verses 12 and 13 in chapter one. Look at this on the screen, it says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth. Now you have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in a tent of this body. Let's just stop there. Not only did he say that he was always remind them, he made the statement to these people that he believes as long as he is alive, As long as he has breath in his lungs, he feels it's his responsibility, his right to continue to come before them and point them to the truth. He's saying, it's my responsibility as your brother in Christ to tell you to continue to grow in your faith in him. And then he stops. And then he stops and shares one of the most significant memories of his life. One, by my way, is saying that it's greater than him walking on water. Now, I don't know. i would be pretty cool to walk on water this morning. It was pouring rain out. I would love to walk on some water. But the, what he shares with us is totally awesome. He looks back to when he, John, and James went on a mountaintop with Jesus and witnessed Jesus in all God's glory. Now in the church, this is known as a Transfiguration. You can go back and read it this afternoon in Matthew chapter 17. But Peter, Jesus, and the other two guys, they head to a mountaintop where Jesus is transformed to this amazing light all around him. His face is bright as the sun, his robe is white as light, and it, this is a once in a lifetime situation and Peter's right there before Jesus and they, all these guys saw God's glory shine in and through and on Jesus himself. And it's in this awesome moment that Peter realizes that maybe this is a situation that he shouldn't be present. And a great cloud comes together in Matthew 17 It tells us this. Great cloud comes in and covers them all. and Peter hears the voice of God speaking to him and it says, this is my son whom I love. And with him I am well pleased. And he says, listen to him. So Peter's on this mountaintop with Jesus and his other two guys, and God speaks into his life. It was a direct message from God to him, telling him who Jesus is and what they need to do. It was God speaking to man, God speaking to his creation, God speaking to the one and those he loves. And if you look back and read, those words are very, very clear. This is my son whom I love. I am pleased with him. Listen to him. And all this matters, this whole thing sets up to what Peter says next. Look at this on the screen, verse 19. We also have a prophetic message as something completely reliable. Reliable. We also have a prophetic message as something completely reliable. Peter took this amazing moment where he heard God speak directly to him and he equated it to the prophetic message of the word of God written. This book in my hands. God just, because God spoke to me on this mountain, he is speaking to you through the word. Come on. That's crazy, right? It just just as God spoke to me, like I verbally heard him speak out about his son, he is speaking to you, church, your followers, through the word called scripture. And then he takes it one step further. He qualifies his statement, he says, this prophetic message is from God that's completely reliable, completely reliable. The word of God, written, preserved, and passed down from generation to generation is proclaimed as being completely reliable. Now, I don't know about you, when I read scripture, I kinda have questions, I talk back and forth through it a lot and and ask God some stuff, but I hear things like this, we read things like this, we hear things like this, and we ask, is it? Is it reliable? I mean, come on, all the things we've been told in this world, maybe uh, t- taught in some schools or people around us or friends are saying, this. I mean, is the word of God reliable? Is the Bible reliable? And we co- start questioning what we think we know true. I mean, we come to church. You've been maybe coming to church all your life and we would open up this book. I say, open your Bibles to blah, blah, blah. And we have a conversation through it. But you may be questioning, okay, can I even trust it? How do I know that this is reliable? How do you know what he's saying is reliable? And see, it's right here where the darkness of this world, the hurt of this world reveals itself into our life. We start asking, is it reliable? we ask, we hear these things and think, how can it be? How can this be? Because we, what happens over, we experience things in life, we get cynical hearts. We experience and get hurts in life, we have cynical hearts. And we've weaved its way into how we think. And the idea that someone or something is completely reliable is absolutely foreign to us. Why? Because people have been unreliable in our lives. In our families, people that we have cared for or loved have been unreliable. Co-workers have been unreliable. Our friends have talked behind our back. They have been unreliable in our lives. Parents who have disappeared, they were unreliable. Parents who were never around, they were unreliable parents who broke promises who could never keep them they were unreliable bosses messing with our lives messing with our schedules they became unreliable giving promotions to other people who they favored not who was due they were unreliable Friends, people in our lives have lied, cheated, and stolen from us. And so we see this idea and what happens, the wave of brokenness in the world comes crashing into our lives and it's hard for us to believe that anything is completely reliable. I mean, shoot, look at the weather this morning. Completely unreliable. Unreliable. It was downright pouring early when he came in this morning. And by the way, I shared that and then first service said, "Hey, it's probably gonna be sunshine and rainbows possibly when you get out." And guess what I was doing? I didn't see a rainbow, but I saw some sunshine. The one thing about this Indiana weather, like when we came, it's, it's completely unreliable. People sent me like memes and all sorts of stuff. In fact, one one person I can't remember who it was told Stephanie and I they said, "Welcome to the armpit of Indiana." And I was like, "Well, I wouldn't put that on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker anywheres." But they're talking about the weather, Just, it's so crazy, it's unreliable. We face that. We face it all of our lives. And for me to say, or, or for us to read, that the scripture is completely reliable, man, we have some doubts. We have some questions. And that's okay. Because we're going to dig into look, look jump past verse 19. We're look at verse 20. The framework of why scripture is reliable starts to reveal itself. Verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about the prophet's own interpretation of things. Verse 21: for the prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let me just make sure I'm clear with this. The Spirit of God. Work through the people of God to write the word of God. If you're taking notes, write that down. The spirit of God worked through the people of God to write the word of God. Moses, Peter, John, and James just didn't sit down and figure like, I'm gonna write you some stories to inspire you. They didn't sit down and write down some stories to, to entertain us, or some like to believe they wrote stories to control us. Let me look at the Bible as an idea of control. Let me just share with you, friends. God is not a control freak, freak, as some people think. God is a love freak. And he wrote you a love letter and how to live the best possible life with him. They were written along, carried along, written the very words that he wanted to say and how he wanted them to say it. It's a love message to his people, a direct message to you and I as his church. So let me just stop right here. We're gonna back up a little bit. We're gonna back up. I wanna give us a bigger picture, 10,000 foot view about scripture. Sometimes we get too close and we get narrow minded and, and, and focused in right here, but I wanna give us a big picture. Oh, here's this picture on the screen that shows some cross references in the Bible. This actually shows 63,779 cross references in the scripture. Now cross references when scripture reference another scripture. And you can see here, they're going all over. The colors represent the distance of the how they cross-reference. And at the bottom, you see that white line? That is actually the, the books of the Bible and the chapters from Genesis one to Revelation 22. You can see how they continue to talk about each other. That is crazy cool. How it continues to wind together on one central theme. Well, that may be cool, but let's just take a step further. Let's get this even better. The Bible is not a book. You walked in, you have one of these in your hands, or you have one at home. This, you say, well, this is my Bible, it's my book. Well, no, it's not. The Bible is actually a library of books. In fact, you should look at the screen. Library of 66 books, written by over 40 different authors, over a span of 1,500 years. And get this, written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, on three different continents. Asia, Europe, and Africa. And all this together, it comes to one central theme to glorify God and point people to Jesus, his redemptive plan for those who have fallen in sin. One theme. Over 40 authors. I can't even get things right from morning to the afternoon and think about putting things together over 1,500 years. That's crazy. That's awesome. That's God. And the process that God went through to, in the past to ensure the integrity of his word is nothing short of amazing as well. But before we go on, you and I need to make a deal. We need to make a deal, all right? Ready to make a deal with me? Yes? Are you ready to make a deal with me? Yeah. You didn't know what it is yet. You just said yes. <laughs> all right, here's the deal. For the next 10 minutes... I will promise not to bore you, all right? For the next 10 minutes, I will promise not, to try not to bore you, all right? Your side of the deal is that for the next 10 minutes, you have to stay engaged. I'll try not to bore you for 10 minutes. You stay engaged for 10 minutes. Do we have a deal? Okay, here we go. With how God walked through to preserve His Word, uh, it was amazing. God used the, the men to write this through the Holy Spirit to write the scripture, but He also gave mankind the ability and the skill to preserve His Word year after year, century after century, and the process was absolutely insane. And he would use these guys called scribes. This was their job in life. Scribes would take and create a new manuscript for old ones. And they would, the poem, what they do is they bring it together. And they didn't have, we didn't have paper like we do now. Right, there wasn't such thing as paper like we have right now. And they would take this idea, copy from old to new, And they didn't have the paper, and they would create new manuscripts over and over and over again, why? Because ones were fading away, they were falling apart and also they were sending them out to share God's word with as many people as possible. But scribes would take the parchment or the scroll, whatever they had, or they were supposed to copy, and they would start counting each word on the scroll and they would mark the middle word. And then they'd take the same scroll and they would count each letter of that scroll and mark the middle letter. Well, then they go ahead and do their copying process. They would copy it over, da, 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 here we go, here we go, here we go. And then when they were done, guess what they did? They, ca- they counted each word of this new manuscript and marked the middle one. And they counted each letter of this manuscript, the new manuscript, and marked the middle one. If they differed, they would rip up this one they just did and burn it and start all over again. It wasn't like you and I today have these, you know, Microsoft Word or, or Pages or anything like that, and you know, you print something off, and hand it to someone. It happens in the office all the time. I hand it to Annie or Bart, said, "Hey, we take, take a look at this," I, and they're like, "Yep, Rich, there's another misspelling." <laughs> My whole life is a red squiggly underline. Um, that's who it is. But they didn't have that, so they ripped it up and started over again. They they go over. And not only God penned the word, but He preserved the word. So here's an example. I wanna just throw out these things. I wanted to give you an example. The Old Testament that we have today, we have the Bible broken into two halves, the Old Testament and New Testament. And the Old Testament we have today was translated to English from a set of manuscripts that were dated from 900 to 1000 AD. So just just over a thousand years ago. One day, an Arab boy, a shepherd boy uh, was chasing after a lost sheep, looking for a lost sheep and he was throwing rocks into these group of caves and he was hoping that with throwing a rock in there it would scare the lost sheep out so he can get a hold of them but he came up to one cave and he threw a stone in in 1947 and he, he heard this big crash and when he went in and what he found was absolutely amazing here's some pictures of those caves I just want to give you a picture of that so this is the Qumran caves on the west side of the Dead Sea and they're called these scrolls are called the Dead Sea scrolls is what they found then there's another picture, show them a little bit of distance from the side. You can see some different caves as you look at the picture. And so what they found was called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And here's a picture of the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is the scroll of Isaiah. So when you look in your Old Testament and you see the book of Isaiah, this is it. And then what they did is they took the scrolls that they found and compared to what, we, what they had from what they translated from, and they're like, man, these are almost identical. I mean, some tick marks are here and there, but they're almost perfect. Now, that's no big deal. You're like, oh, Richie, you just told us the process they went to. Well, what about if I tell you that the, what they found in the Dead Sea was written at 250 BC? That's almost a thousand years' difference from what we translated from today. And they matched. None of you look really surprised by it. Like, well, that's really cool. Or you're like, oh, that's a bunch of information. You promised, try not to bore us out. <laughs> Come on, it's a scripture. Over a thousand years had passed. And what we have in our, old, in our Old Testament today matches what they found that was written in 250 BC. That's God doing God, preserving his word for you and for me and for the world. So I got these pictures from Pastor Bart when he was in, when they were in, I think, Israel and Jerusalem back in 2019. Um, I know I sound like I'm geeking out right now, and that's okay, but I love it. But see what happens when we start understanding the word, the scripture, where it came from, how God preserved it. In these situations, in these details, we start moving from skeptics to believers, and we can talk to people about the Word of God being the Word of God. We can, we can help them move from rejectors to receivers. We start looking at the Bible not some religious book or some book on our shelf or the book on our table at home that we don't open. We start looking at the Bible as actually the Word of God. Friends, one of the greatest miracles in history is not found in the Bible, it is the Bible. What God did, how he kept it and how we have it today is absolutely insane. All right, so let's look at the New Testament. New, we have more copies in the New Testament than any other ancient, ancient text in human history. If you were to go to high school, say you're in high school and your teacher told you to write a research paper, they said, I want you to write your research paper on the first century of Rome. There are three books almost every teacher will tell you about. Look at them on the screen. The first one is called the 12 Caesars. It was all about the first 12 Caesars of Rome. It was written around 120 A.D. and they have eight surviving copies and the oldest copy that we have was written in 950 A.D. The second book would be the Tacitus and the Annals of Rome written about 100 A.D. We have 33 surviving copies of that and the oldest copy we have of that one is 1100 A.D. And the third book they would tell you to use would be the Gallic Wars. That was written around 44 BC. We have 251, that's, pretty, that's a lot, right? That's a lot of copies. That take up a lot of space, surviving copies. And the oldest copy of that is 900 AD. No one questions these resources. They believe what they have about history is true. You would take these books, do your studying, write your paper, and get an A and ever be all sorts of happy. Now, the rebel of me really wants you to do something like this and write on your works cited page. I'm not sure if these references are true. Don't do that, I was just joking. I mean, that's just, because you don't know. Because here's the situation. The New Testament was written between 50 and 100 AD. Guess how many copies of manuscripts, full and part, that we have? How many copies do you think of the, of the New Testament do we have in full and part? 20? 50? About 100. May say 500? 1,000? 1,500? Friends, look at this. We have over 5,795 partial and full manuscripts in Greek. Oh, it gets better. Look at this. We have over 23,769 manuscripts in nine different languages. Look at the numbers. What they say is true and what we actually have to be true. What would you put your faith in? The first century Roman, these these books, or the New Testament that God has written for you to live in life? Really? Really? Let's add to this. I keep on just piling information. I'm sorry. This is where I'm geeking out. Uh, The oldest copy we have is 115 AD. So remember it was written from 50 to 100. And the oldest copy we have is 115 AD. That's 15 years separated. And they match. Church, you're not getting excited about this. I only say this to tell you. You know what? Hold up your Bible if you have one. Whatever you're reading the word of God on right now, hold it up. This is God's word. History and proof has gone over and over again to show us to be true. I don't care what the world is telling you. The proof is in the numbers. The history what God has done to make sure his people has His word. I trust this book. I trust this book with my life. Why, because it told me about Jesus. It told me where I stood without Jesus. And I gave my life to Jesus. And I read this book to live the best life in Jesus. What about you? What do you believe to be true? What do you hold? Do you believe this is God's word for life? Do you believe that it's reliable? Can you trust it? And here's why. Here's a, look at this. This is what God desires for us, for us to do. Why? Verse 19, we're going to jump backwards. We also have this prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you do well to pay attention to it. Why? Because as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Peter is saying that this book this book is a guiding light for you in life. In a world that's surrounded by darkness, that we're getting punched from every single direction, this book will lead us through it. Push back what's trying to take us over. Psalm 119, 105 says the exact same thing. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God wants to guide us and direct us. Why? Through his word, because he loves us. And we're given this book and this book is called to be a light in our lives and we're going to be holding on to it until Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, by the way, he is coming back, my friends. And when he comes back, we'll no longer need this because he is the light. But until then, we need to hold to it. But you have to figure out for yourself do you trust this book? Do you believe the good book is God's book? Do you believe it's reliable? You're the only one who can make that decision. I can't make it for you. You're know, the only one who is who is to walk out those doors and engage life again to figure out that this is my light for life. And I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to read it and I'm going to have a conversation with God. Because if you come to the same conclusion as me, to believe this is the actual words of God that guide me in life, and we choose not to read it. Let me just tell you this. God is trying to have a conversation with you and you are choosing to ignore him. This is life manual, how he desires his creation to live. Life is an open book, and he's given in the book. So here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to commit to read the scripture for 30 days. If you're like, Rich, is 30 is easy. Go to 60. Sit rich, 60 is easy. Go to 90. Commit 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever you want. to start reading the Bible. Use the, if you don't like paper, use U version app. But read. Have a conversation with God on the daily. And let him lead you to the best possible life. Because these are his words to you. So here's the you can read, you can read the book of Matthew. I mean that's that's 28 chapters. You can have two cheat days. I mean, every diet has a cheat day, right? At least mine does. I don't think I have a diet. And every day is a cheat day. But anyways, <laughs> the book of Mark, 16 chapters, overachiever, read it twice. Book of Luke, 24 chapters, six cheat days. John, 21 chapters. Acts, 28 chapters. If you really want to go gangbusters at it, friends, pick up and read Genesis, 50 chapters. I don't care. What I do care is about that you're actually reading. Scripture. Don't take everything that I say up here on a Sunday morning as true. Dig into the word, which is. Spend time with the one who loves you the most and wants the best life from you for you. But that's your decision. So what are you going to do, church? When you walk out those doors, what are you going to do? Are you going to commit to have a conversation with God every day? or you just continue to choose to ignore him. I'm praying you choose the former. I know God has shaped my life through his word and my prayer he'll do the same for you. Are you with me? That was about three people. Are you with me? Amen, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace in our lives. We thank you for Jesus. Makes everything that we do and talk about and say here possible. We thank you for your word. Undeniable truth that it's your words to your people. The world wants to fade it away, wants to push it away, but you want it front and center in our lives. God, I pray that as we we continue through this series that you open up our eyes to this, understanding your word, clarity, and we'll start following it even when it's tough because a good book is your book. Let us hold to that truth, undeniable evidence that you're an awesome God who speaks to his people. Now, right now I'm going to invite our prayer team forward and if you have things going on in your life and you want to be prayed over and prayed with I'd ask you to come forward after service we believe in the power of prayer we believe that it moves the hand of God in the hearts of people and so I'm sure there's things going on in our lives people in this room that you need prayer to ask you to come forward maybe just maybe a simple conversation and seeing some details or historical context of the of scripture has opened your eyes to the truth about who god is and how much he loves you and you hear this church talk about jesus all the time you're trying to, and you come to the point where you want to surrender your life maybe that's you this morning i want to encourage you this morning if that's you to come forward The prayer teams want to pray with you and over you as you step over the threshold of faith and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because that's the reason we exist, to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you just want to just be around people and pray and hear people pray this morning. Come forward and have a conversation with some people up front who want to love on you. God, You overwhelm me with your truth. I know sometimes it's hard to understand. I know sometimes it's harder to live. But one thing I know to be true, it's from you to me. It's from you to your people. That is the foundation of what we teach and say and may we follow with all of our heart.